Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to Cokesbury United Methodist Church here in Woodbridge, Virginia on this wonderful Sunday for worship. Whether you're joining us on Facebook or YouTube, it is my good pleasure to be with you in this strange and bewildering and yet wonderful way. My name is Taylor Mertens and I serve as the pastor here at Cokesbury and as I said, I'm so grateful that you have decided to join us today to hear uh, what God has to say to us about who we are and whose we are. We have been going uh, for a number of weeks now through the parables of the kingdom as told by Jesus in Matthew 13. Uh, today is the end of our series on these parables of the kingdom. Uh, the last and the final parable is the parable of the net. Next week, we're starting a series that is being called That's Not in the Bible. I've taken five very, very common uh, Christian expressions that aren't actually in Scripture anywhere, and we're going to be talking about perhaps why we shouldn't be saying those things anymore, like love the sinner, hate the sin, God won't give you any more than you can handle, that sort of stuff. Uh, so if you're at all interested or you know other people who would be interested in hearing more about those things, feel free to share uh, our church Facebook page or the sermons as they come up, the worship services, however you see fit. Uh, call a friend, tell them that this crazy pastor you know online is going to be talking about these things over uh, the month of August. And I look forward to hearing from you about how it resonates or what you agree with or don't agree with as we seek to discover more about the way we speak about God and the way we speak about ourselves. We're continuing to monitor the, the COVID situation in our local community and for the foreseeable future. This is how we're going to be offering worship. We won't be having in-person worship uh, for at least a little bit longer. As those things do start to change, we will make that information available to you uh, through the different means of communication we have. If you want to know more about our church, you can find out about us on our website. There's also an online bulletin for the service. It's linked in the video description. It has our scriptures, sermon, uh, hymns, all that sort of information. Uh, if it's helpful for you, please feel free to pull it up so that you can use it throughout the service. I'd also like to share just a, a brief little story before we continue on with worship today. When I was in seminary, uh, a family friend hooked me up with a, a, a trout fishing guide in western North Carolina. And I went out uh, to, the, to the beautiful rivers that are in western North Carolina one Saturday morning, and I met up with this trout guide, and he was going to drive me off to these different watering holes so that we could uh, practice casting and maybe hopefully catch some fish. I'd never fly fished uh, up to that point, and so we took some time. He taught me how to tie my fly to, to the end of the line and how to properly cast and all these different things. And 
throughout the morning, we got to talking and knowing more about each other. And eventually he asked me, you know, what I did for a living. And I said, well, I'm a student. And he said, well, where do you go to school? I said, I, went, I go to Duke Divinity School. And he said, oh, Duke Divinity, what's that for? And I said, well, it's actually, it's school to prepare me to, to be a pastor one day. I'm a United Methodist, and, you know, hopefully by the end of all this, I'll, I'll be given a church and I'll be a pastor. And he stopped dead in his tracks and just stared at me. And he said, wait a minute, you're training to become a pastor? And I said, yeah, not today, though. I'm fishing with you. He said, no, 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 no. This is good news, my dear friend. I said, what's so good about fishing with somebody in seminary? He said, don't you know, son? That all those people in the Bible, whenever they're going fishing in the New Testament, they never catch a single fish unless Jesus is with them. So I got a feeling about you, young Taylor, studying to be a pastor. We're going to catch a whole lot of fish today because if Jesus is with you, we're going to get something. And friends, he wasn't wrong. We caught a lot of fish that day. Frankly, I've never even come close to catching that many fish by myself. So I don't know if it had more to do with Jesus being with me or the fact that he was a trout fishing guide and knew what he was doing. But nevertheless, that story has always stayed with me because fishing is a preferred story, a preferred narrative, even a preferred parable that Jesus falls back on very, very often. And today, the, the final uh, sermon series, part of our sermon series, Jesus talks about a net, a net that is used to catch fish. How many fish? Well, all of them, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So we're going to continue to see what God has to say to us about who we are and whose we are today. And again, I'm very, very grateful that you are here to hear with me what God says. So let's just close our eyes, clear our minds for a moment as we prepare our hearts and minds to worship God. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful, wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let us pray. Lord, we confess that we often live as if we will not die, and so living, we live deadly lives. Save us from this living death, O Lord, by engrafting us into your kingdom of life. As people of that kingdom, Help us be mindful of all who have already finished their course in faith and now rest from their labors in you. For Lord, we look forward to the fellowship of the communion of saints. And we pray for friends to sustain us for the facing of our time here in this world that is still so obsessed with death. And it's while thinking about these things, Lord, that we now pray to you individually lifting up our own joys and concerns to you, whether silently or aloud this day. And as you taught us, Lord, so now we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture reading today comes from the 13th chapter of Matthew's Gospel, verses 47 through 50. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version, and again, you can find these words in the online bulletin. Now, hear the word of the Lord. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and put the good into baskets and threw out the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. We will all be blessed today with our hymn. It's hymn number 301 in the United Methodist hymnal, Jesus, Keep Me Near the Cross. Gloria Baltimore, uh, the pianist we have here at the church, joined me a few weeks ago to record a couple tunes. And so we are going to be playing this song, this hymn, over on the piano and the drums. So uh, feel free to join us. The words for this hymn are printed in the online bulletin. Join us over at the piano and drums as we sing and play, Jesus, Keep Me Near the Cross.
The kingdom of heaven was like a net that was thrown into the sea, and it caught fish of every kind. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We've come to the end, both the end of our series on the parables of the kingdom, but also to the end of Jesus' proclamation parabolically about the end of all things. The kingdom is like a net that catches everything so that the angels can sort out the evil from the righteous. Friends, this is a story about judgment. And we, we don't like judgment, you know, judge not lest ye be judged and all that other stuff. But I think it's actually more that we like to talk about not being judgmental while actually being addicted to the kind of judgments that we make against ourselves and other people. I mean, just consider this. How many conversations have you had recently with people about others and their willingness or their unwillingness to wear masks in public? Judgments. It's notable that here, having talked about the kingdom again and again, yeast and seeds and weeds, Jesus ends the entire sequence of all of these parables with a story about fishing and the judgment that comes afterwards. It's an ending about the end. And Jesus, he's been laying it on rather thick for the crowds and for the disciples, but then we have this strange encounter, so it will be at the end of the age, the eschaton, a final period on the whole kit and caboodle. This is the moment in which all the stories of the kingdom are summed up by the Lord of Lords. Listen, 
The kingdom, it's like a net, a net thrown into the sea that catches everything. And only when the net is completely full is it brought ashore so that the good are put into baskets and the bad are left on the sand. So it will be at the end. My angels will come. They will separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Sounds like a party, right? The kingdom is like a large net. Strangely enough, here in Greek, the word for net is sanguine, and it's what we call in theological circles a hapax legomenon. It's a word that only appears one time in the entirety of the New Testament. It is a remarkably rare word. Nevertheless, the net here is one that is dragged through the water indiscriminately, sucking up and taking up every single thing in its path. It is not like the tiny little net I carry on my fly fishing bag to help collect that one solitary fish I've been trying to reel in for 12 minutes. It's more like a trawler that just picks up everything in its wake, and everything means everything. Not only fish but seaweed and, and trash and other ocean, oceanic items. You know, this, of course, runs counter to how we so often imagine the fishing stories from Jesus and the Gospels, the way we portray them in children's Bibles. It's all. I mean, Jesus says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all to myself, not just people, but all of creation, which is to say that when the net fetches out everything it meets in the sea— it's a reminder that the kingdom fetches out everything in the world. When Jesus proclaims that a new heaven and a new earth are coming, they're not replacements for the old ones. We don't get zapped from one to the other. They are transfigurations of them. Jesus doesn't abandon planet earth to go strike out a new claim somewhere else. He raises creation and he glorifies it. Now, the totality of the net, all that it, it gathers together, it might, might sound like an overstatement, but interestingly enough, in Greek, again, as you read this story, the word for fish doesn't actually appear, even though plenty of translators have opted to stick it in anyway. What it really says is, is that the net was tossed into the sea and it caught everything. This means, parabolically, that everything and everyone gets swept up into the the, the net of Christ's kingdom, the good, the bad, the tall, the small, the poor, the powerful. There is a sorting to come. We cannot ignore that. But not before the net has already drawn everything in. While the net is being pulled behind the boat, doing its work, judgment is nowhere to be found, which is a reminder, a reminder for those of us called the church in the kingdom while still in this world that it does nobody any good while remaining in the judgment business. But judgment, sometimes it just feels so good. You know, it's been one of those favorite pastimes of the church from the very beginning. The practice of tossing out the bad apples while the net is still drawing everything in has been everybody's preferred method of furthering the kingdom. Everybody's, that is, except Jesus. Sometimes... It can take weeks and weeks of sitting in these parables to realize how much of a miracle it is that the church has made it this far all the while confusing the words of the divine word incarnate. 
We have heaping examples of how judgmental the church has been throughout all the years, all while Jesus has been doing his best to drag the net of the kingdom across the ocean floor of our existence. I mean, consider how adulterers and murderers and philanderers have been paraded out of both pulpit and sanctuary. But it's not even just the really bad sins that we hold over the heads of others. We dismiss the the liars and the cheaters, the questionable and the bizarre. Throughout the history of the church, we have picked out our particular flavors of allowable and unallowable, all under the auspices of keeping the good in and the bad out. And what do we have to show for it? And now, if the church is brave enough to talk about sin at all, we do so in a way that denies our own sinfulness while paradoxically highlighting the sins of other people. We've taken down the mirror that is the gospel, the law that accuses us dead in our sins, and instead we, we wag our fingers at those who don't align with what we think is good and right and true. And I must confess that I am as guilty of this as anybody else. I mean, do you know how much fun it is to belittle and to bemoan televangelists for their wildly inappropriate theology that they're constantly dropping on their dozing congregations? Do you know why it's so fun for me to make fun of them? Because it makes me feel better about myself. We love to point out the sins in other people, all while ignoring our own. But Jesus... Jesus didn't shy away from sinners. Why should we? Of course, we might say, oh, but the church welcomes sinners. We all know that isn't true. We don't. At least, not really. We're only inclined to welcome the sinful so long as their sins aren't that much of a consequence and so long as they're willing to repent, turn their lives around, and never go backward ever again. I mean, should we let people get away with their sins? Is that what Jesus wants? A church full of worthless sinners failing in our inability to be good? Kind of. It's not so much about letting people get away with their sins, but helping all of us to recognize the real condition of our condition, that our salvation is not possible on our own. We don't have the capacity on our own to turn our lives around. It is only ever possible because of the Spirit working in us and through us and with us. Think about Paul's argument to the Galatians. He said, if there had been a law, a rule that could have saved us, then it would have already happened. We can change. We can get better. But it's God who does that work in us. It's God who does that work. And like the kingdom, it's really mysterious. There's no good answer to why one person is better at uh, dropping a bad habit than somebody else. There's no good answer to why someone gets through grief faster than anybody else. God works, and we know not how. It is, to make a fine point even finer, a mystery. It is something hidden that we don't quite yet see. The church, at her best, is merely a sacrament of God's kingdom, an outward sign of the mystery in the world today. It is like a version of the net, doing its best to sweep through the dark waters of life, collecting anything and everything. What happens next is entirely up to God. It's also where the real judgment begins. 
You know, the plunder, the spoils of this fishing adventure, they are brought to the shore to sort out, in Jesus' words, the good from the bad. What makes the good good, and what makes the bad bad? Jesus doesn't really give us much to work with here, but it's entirely in the eyes of the one who tossed the net over the side of the boat in the first place. That is, Jesus is the one who decides who goes in the basket and who gets left on the sand. Or perhaps to put it in a better way, what gets put in the basket and what gets left in the sand. You notice, again, that the separation only occurs after the net has done its job. Only after the mystery of the kingdom has come to fruition. Only after the power of Jesus' reconciling and resurrecting work. Everyone who comes before the divine sorting, if that's what we want to call it, they have already been judged by the judge who came to be judged in our place. The whole world, the all that Jesus draws into himself is accepted in the beloved. The forgiveness of wrongs, the rectification of sins pronounced from the cross and from the empty tomb is for all. What we choose to do with that forgiveness, what we choose to do with that rectification, that's where things get really tricky. I mean, think about the older brother in the parable of the prodigal. His father, rather recklessly, forgives the younger son from his squandering ways, throws him this giant party, kills the fatted calf, and then insists that the older brother get over it and come on inside and have some fun but we never find out whether the older brother does or not. I mean, does he enter the room, grab a a drink and head out on the dance floor, or does he stay in the outer darkness, weeping and gnashing his teeth? We don't know. All we do know is that in the end, God is throwing a party, the supper of the Lamb. We're all invited. That invitation will never, ever be taken away. The question isn't what constitutes a life worthy of the kingdom, but instead, what are we going to do with this invitation? Notice, nobody goes to hell because they've made too many bad choices in this life any more than someone goes to heaven because they made enough right choices. Everyone meets Jesus in the mystery of his death and resurrection. Everybody. They are swept up in the great net whether we think they deserve it or not. Contrary to many of our church ramblings throughout the centuries, and even today, we are not judged by the Lord in the light of our previous proclivities. If we were, none of us would go anywhere but hell. Instead, we are judged by what Jesus does for us on the cross. He announces a forever and all-encompassing forgiveness that transfigures us into his kingdom in ways that are hidden and here right now with us. Let me put it this way. Everybody, even the worst of the worst, every single person is someone for whom Christ died. Whenever the church goes around kicking people out for missed and poor choices, we fail to live into this great nettedness of Christ's salvific work. I mean, sinners are the church's business for God's sake. Literally. We worship a God who came not to condemn the world, but to save it. Until the end of the age, the only thing we can do is rest in the good news that Jesus delights in catching us and everybody else. 
but there's still judgment. So it will be at the end of the age, Jesus says, my angels will come and they will separate the evil out of the midst of the righteous. Makes me wonder, though, how did the righteous ones get to be so righteous? Scripture tells us that Jesus makes us righteous and we can't do it on our own. Also makes me wonder, to whom is the gift of Jesus's righteousness offered? Well, Scripture tells us that Jesus came for the whole world, not just a particular group of people, but for all the good and the bad, the right and the wrong, which makes me also wonder, but then how can some of them be judged as evil? And that is the question. Is it because not one of us is righteous? No, not one, to steal an expression from Paul. Is it because even though Jesus told us not to judge, it's still our favorite thing to do? Is it because we are all dead in our sins? We're all in desperate need of a Savior who can save us from our sins and ourselves? The angels of the Lord will separate the evil out of the midst of the righteous. They're going to take it away. This is God's good work, for there will be no evil in the end of the age. There will be no death, no mourning, no crying, for God will make all things new, even us. So do you see it? Even in the end, God in Christ is hell-bent on getting every single one of us into his kingdom, even if it means separating the evil out of us, the evil that is within every one of us, so that we can feast at the supper of the Lamb forever and ever and ever, because there's going to be joy in heaven, not just over one that was lost and found, but over the 99 as well. There's going to be joy joy over a whole new Jerusalem that is populated entirely and only by forgiven sinners. Populated entirely by people whose citizenship is based on nothing but their forgiveness, not their good works or their perfect report cards, only by what God has done for them. What God has done for you and for me. God is going to get what God wants. So be it. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, infuse our lives with the joy of your Spirit. We know only as we are known. Illumine our lives with knowledge of you that we may see our endings are actually beginnings. Wrench our closings open so that we will not fear suffering and so learn that it is actually through suffering that you make us into your people. Compel us, make us free, so that we manifest the joy of friendship with you and with one another, this day and every day. Amen. God has gathered us together. God has proclaimed God's word, and now we respond to God's word. We respond with the, the giving of ourselves as much as we can for others, with our time, our efforts. We also respond with the giving of our offerings, our tithes to God and to the church. So I encourage you to give with glad and generous hearts to the ministries of Cokesbury United Methodist Church. You can do so by donating online. The link for doing so is found in the video description, or you can send a uh, letter with a check to, in the mail to the church, or if you live locally, you can drop off your offering here. We have a drop slot by the main office doors. 
but give. Give with glad and generous hearts so that we as a church might embody that net that is scooping up everything that we possibly can so that others might know what grace really looks like in their lives and in the lives of others. Give. Give as you can, generously and with glad hearts. Another way that we like to respond to what God has said here at this church is with an affirmation of faith. We like to use the Apostles' Creed. So if you know it, feel free to join in. Otherwise, you can find the words in the online bulletin. But let's affirm our faith using the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Just as a reminder, next week we're starting our new sermon series for the month of August. That's not in the Bible, so I look forward to joining with you next week to find out what kind of expression we might be using all the time. We probably shouldn't. Again, encourage others to join us next week as we confront that's not in the Bible. With that, I'd like to offer you this blessing and benediction. May the God of grace and glory, God of the beginning and the end, the God of life and of death and of resurrection, help you to know and see that it is in God's business to cast a deep and wide net into the sea of life, and God is going to get what God wants. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Look forward to seeing you all next week, same time, same place. Go in peace. Amen.